You're listening to Nostalgia Be Damned. Hello, everybody. My name is Zach. I'm Brandon. A.K.A. DJ Shyamalan Twist. It's happening. What's happening? That, that was the tagline. I'll tell you what's happening. No, shut up, Brandon. I'll tell you what's happening. It's another episode of Nostalgia Be Damn, the show where we take some of your favorite movies from your childhood or just those films you're nostalgic about, and we look at them objectively and let you know, are these movies actually good, or are you blinded by your nostalgia? This week, we watched 2002's sci-fi thriller, Signs. You know, that movie everybody's really nostalgic about. I am, dude. Are you? I loved Signs back as a kid. As a kid, it was one of the movies that actually kind of first got me interested in how movies were made. It was one of the movies I first remember actively thinking about how the film was shot, how the film was paced, because it's so incredibly deliberate. It was one of the movies, those movies that genuinely got me interested in movie making. And Zach, I feel like you're about wow. to... Yeah, you're, I know. Oh, yeah. I, I'm going to feel real bad shitting on it for the next hour. That's <laughs> That sucks. It's, that's the thing about the show is I haven't actually watched it in a good probably maybe five years do i still enjoy it as much as then you know tune in just keep listening oh keep li- oh that's that's how you keep the people going brandon you're doing a great job <laughs> Dude, at this their podcasting. nips are hard their nips are diamonds <laughs> right now uh i also have a bit of a background with this movie not nearly one as uh i, I guess uh transcending as yours but <laughs> In fact, mine actually goes back to uh, we rent. Me and my friends were staying at my house overnight for my birthday party. I, you know, because 2002 was back when you just had your friends stay over for a birthday party. Brain. We get it. You, you know have this. friends. Congrats. I'm sorry. I had friends, and you were busy uh, jerking, jerking off, off the signs. Shyamalan movies. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, we rented two movies that night. The first movie we rented was this one, Signs. The second one, Brandon, you want to take a guess what it was? What? So this is the same year, 2002? Was it a new release? Uh, Yes, it was a new release at the time on DVD. Ooh, was it Spitterman? It was not Spitterman. It was Austin Powers Gold Member. Ooh. Wow. Whip, wow. whip, whip. What a night for movies. And, uh... I remember, uh, unlike you and your fascination with this movie, I can't remember at the end of the night which movie I hated more. I hated Signs when it came out. I was bored. I wasn't scared. I uh, thought the whole thing was kind of stupid in terms of the plot. And I think I stayed away from this movie for a good long time. Maybe I saw it on TV at one point and just kind of in passing and then walked away. I think this is the first time since that slumber party that I've watched Signs all the way through. So it's been a good long while and I'm definitely ready to share my thoughts so many years later. As like an 11 or 12 year old, when you first watched this, did you have any sort of relationship with Shyamalan movies? Did you watch The Sixth Sense at that time? Had you seen it? Uh, yeah, I had seen The Sixth Sense at that time, and uh, that movie scared the shit out of me. Okay, so did you go in with some high expectations? I had these expectations that I was going to really just kind of be nervous and on the edge of my seat the entire time. Um, and, and maybe, you know, not be able to sleep that night. And it just wasn't the case. I remember even just at that age, watching that movie and thinking, ah, this, this wasn't 
anything that struck a chord with me. Well, I want to hear your thoughts on the entire oeuvre of Mr. Shyamalan, because we're going to get into, you know, his, his filmography in general. So this is technically his fourth or fifth movie, but it's really regarded as his third in a line of, you know, thrillers. He started his career off with a movie called Praying with Anger, and then he did Wide Awake before basically exploding into the cultural zeitgeist with The Sixth Sense in 1999. Obviously, we're both up on Sixth Sense. Great movie. Love the twist. Were you fooled by the twist the first time you watched yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. No, no. Uh, I, no, I uh, called it in the very beginning. No, no, I won't. No, I won't say that. I, I just, it didn't really have, because I was so young when I saw uh, The Sixth Sense, it didn't really have the impact it would have had on me. Me, had I been older watching that movie but yeah I mean obviously I didn't really see that one coming Sixth Sense was fucking huge nominated for best picture a bunch of Oscars actually introduced us really to Haley Joel Osment you know that treasure oh yeah absolutely and he keeps on giving now that he's a big old uh weird looking dude hey big fan of HJO bro that's why I got the tattoo. You've seen it. Yeah, uh, you probably loved him in the Entourage movie, because you strike me as an Entourage movie guy. Yeah, and a Tusk movie guy. He's also in that. Remember Ooh. that one? Well, yeah, obviously. <laughs> All right, well, he followed Sixth Sense up with Unbreakable. What's your thoughts on that? It's okay. We, again, just not really... I, You know what? I'm gonna. I'm just going to get it out there, because it's going to come through eventually. Uh, he's not my favorite director. Okay. I respect... I respect a lot of the movies that he's made. Um, the Sixth Sense, like I said, I really liked that movie. Um, I really liked Split. Other than that, man, I don't think anything that I've seen of his has ever really stuck out with me as something that I've super enjoyed. So I, I know he's up there with a lot of people as as a well-respected director. And while I do respect him as a filmmaker, uh, his movies, especially the ones that he writes, really don't do it for me. Yeah, well, this will be a fun, interesting episode, man, because I'm kind of the opposite. Like, yeah, I grew up really enjoying his earlier works, and then he hit a, a period of, of a few films that I, I can't defend and, and don't enjoy. No, I want you to just take 30 seconds out of this podcast to defend The Last Airbender. Go. <laughs> I still haven't seen it, and I refuse to watch it. It looked just terrible. I've heard nothing but bad things, so I just skipped that one entirely. That's the only right, one job. of his filmography I haven't seen. So there was The Village. I'm sorry, there was Unbreakable, which I really liked. I think that movie's actually grown in my estimation over time because I think it was ahead of its time in the whole breaking down the superhero genre to such a you know personal and character-driven-based story. Then we had... Signs, this one here, The Village, which I know a lot of people fucking hate, but I still really like. I don't know, man. I kind of like The Village. I also kind of like Lady in the Water because it's just so batshit crazy. And Paul Giamatti, dude. Paul Giamatti. What's the deal? What's the deal with Paul Giamatti? Exactly. He's starring in movies like Lady in the Water, and I'm watching him, liking him as a kid, rewatching them as an adult and realizing it's not very good, but there's some, there's some batshit crazy uh, world building in there. I mean, he decides to put himself as like the savior of humanity, but you know, he's humble. Okay, moving on. Then we had The Happening. This is where I'll, I'll take the hit. Yeah, The Happening's not good. It's almost so funny bad that it's an entertaining movie, but it's also really slow in bits. And you know, you got Mark Wahlberg and Zoe Deschanel trying to out confuse each other. <laughs> like they're always just baffled in every shot. Mm -hmm. uh, followed that one up with The Last Airbender. His career is kind of on the decline at this point. Then he followed that up with After Earth, which I'm not a fan of that one either. Then he kind of rebounded a few years later with The Visit, which was that, uh, you know, found footage 
horror movie about the two kids in the house with their grandparents and they turn out to be fucking nuts. <laughs> that one was kind of fun. You know, not necessarily return to form, but a decent movie in that genre. And then, yeah, he's got Split and Glass recently, both of which were financial successes. Split way better than Glass, in my opinion. Uh, agree. Uh, Glass has a lot of good ideas, but it kind of falls apart in the third act there, and uh, the first two acts are just kind of slow enough to get you intrigued, but then the payoff doesn't quite hit it home, in my opinion. But he's a filmmaker that I'll continue to watch his movies. Uh, he's got a few more, I think, coming out because he signed some sort of deal with Universal Pictures, so he's got at least two coming up the pike in the next few years, and I don't know. He's just one of those filmmakers that I think, even when he shits the bed, it's something weird and interesting, and, and he doesn't really take from a whole lot of other people, in my opinion. His original ideas are just bad ideas sometimes. Uh, but, you know, he, he swings for the fences, and sometimes it hits for me. He also directed one episode of Wayward Pines, which is a TV show that I last I checked was on Hulu, and I'm not going to give it a recommend. Uh, I've read the books, and it's a really interesting story, and it definitely does seem like something that he would sort of he would groove with that show for sure. Um, but I haven't really seen most of the show yet. I think I saw the first two episodes or something, but, uh, you know, if, if Shyamalan is your thing, I recommend that. He also wrote future NBD episode, Stuart Little. So, Mm. (laughs) signs as a 73% on Rotten Tomatoes and a 6.7 on IMDb. It cost $72 million to make. It earned $227 million in the U.S. and a fucking whopping $408 million worldwide. It finished sixth on the domestic charts for the year of 2002. It currently ranks as the third highest grossing sci-fi horror movie of all time, landing right behind I Am Legend and War of the Worlds, but earning more than A Quiet Place and Prometheus. Dude, people were so stoked about Signs. I remember when Signs came out, uh, and I think part of the reason why it hit me so hard that I ended up not liking it was because everybody was stoked when this movie was coming out. Mel Gibson was likable at that point in his career. Uh, (laughs) Oh, I'd say height of his powers at that time. Like, yeah. Yeah, I would would agree. And uh, Shyamalan, even if you were a guy like me who, you know, wasn't super big on him, it was enough to get you out. Oh, the guy who did The Sixth Sense, this is definitely going to be scary. Dope-ass trailer. I remember that trailer, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Great trailer. But, uh... So this this had the makings of a make-or-break moment, I feel like, in his career. It's M. Night Shyamalan's second highest-grossing movie behind The Sixth Sense, and Mel Gibson's actually, it's his biggest movie of all time as an actor. The Passion of the Christ, you know, he directed that one. That one made $370 million in 2004. But as an actor, Signs is his number one. Wow. Uh, interesting. Well, like you, Roger Ebert was not a fan of many of M. Night Shyamalan's films. He did, however, give this movie four stars. Uh, He says, Signs is the work of a born filmmaker, able to summon apprehension out of thin air. When it is over, we think not how little has been decided, but how much has been experienced. However, the the village, he notoriously gave a scathing one-star review and actually has placed that movie on his most hated films list. You should read his review, uh, look it up, it's pretty funny. Just to get into a little backstory information here, alongside Mel Gibson, the film obviously also stars Rory Culkin, Abigail Breslin, pre-Little Miss Sunshine, and Joaquin Phoenix, post-Gladiator. So Phoenix replaced Mark Ruffalo, I guess, who was originally going to star in the movie. Turns out he had to pull out of the film because of a brain tumor. Wow. (laughs) But it was later found to be benign, yeah. So maybe he saw the signs 
and got out of that uh, contract. Or he saw the signs that he might have brain cancer. Graham Hess, the lead character in this movie, was originally written as an older character. Both Paul Newman and Clint Eastwood turned down the role. <laughs> so I guess it got uh, reshaped a bit to be a bit younger. Mel Gibson. Jesus. At this time, I'm still a fan of. You know, he's coming off fucking hot with what women want, dude. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's true. <laughs> Uh, what do you think about uh? What do you think about um? Where does Rory rank in terms of your favorite Culkin? He's third on my list. Yeah, he's third on my list as well. Sure. Yep. But where's but where is Kieran? <laughs> We've talked about this because I've not seen. Yeah, Succession I know. I'm gonna yet. drill it because in because I've your not head. seen Succession yet. I will place Mr. Kieran at number two and Mr. McCully obviously at at number one. Yeah, you're fucking wrong. But go ahead. Yeah, and uh, the crop circles, by the way, in the movie are real because. Shyamalan, he doesn't like CGI. Uh, you could kind of tell maybe by the effects later oh, on in this what? movie. But he doesn't like CGI, so he uh, opted to do all of the crop circles for real. The aliens were actually originally going to be invisible, but Shyamalan couldn't get the effect he wanted, <laughs> so we're stuck with uh, Green Man here. Yeah, we're stuck with something. And lastly, other titles considered for the film. It was going to be called either Visitors or The Alien Bulletin. You like that one, Zach? DJ Alien Bulletin? <laughs> um, no. Let's do this, man. I'm ready. Let's see some signs. So, immediately, off the bat, I fucking love this score. This is one of my favorite movie scores. This scene, this little opening title sequence here, this music, and the music at the very end, I have on my iPod, and have had, you know, years before, iPhone, I guess, <laughs> but I had on my iPod, because it was those two tracks I listened to all the time. I use those notes in real life. Do me a favor, go to your nearest sports bar, and just tell everybody there that you're a fucking nerd in need of bashing. <laughs> so good anyway james newton howard he actually wrote the score to this movie before it was even filmed it was just based off the script and then Shyamalan shot scenes to it essentially but i love the opening here it really gets you in the mood then we kick off with his i mean a lot of people have said he's ripped off hitchcock if he's going to steal from any filmmaker anyway uh, yeah, you can definitely see it in these these opening moments. He's really going for Hitchcock. Everything is there's a lot of center framing. Everything's very slow and deliberate, and people, but people don't quite talk like human beings. There's like a weird elevated oh yeah normality to the dialogue, and it just seems a bit off. One of the things that I thought of when I was watching this movie, because Brandon, as you know, I don't actually write down notes when I watch these movies because I'm not committed, um, is it, one of the <laughs> things I, I kind of took a mental note on was that this movie is really about aliens coming to visit other aliens because no one in this family talks like a normal fucking human being. They're all weird in their own way. <laughs> they all have strange interactions and dialogue with each other. They may have superpowers it's so weird dude like this this is everyone talks so softly and directly and looking into each other's eyes all the time it is america's strangest family not helped by the fact that mel gibson is mel gibson joaquin phoenix is a man who goes on to play the joker rory culkin is one of the weirder culkins and that's saying something and the girl from little miss sunshine is probably the best actor in this entire movie <laughs> i think everyone is acting pretty damn good yeah rory culkins you know he's he's rory culkin but i think everyone he's, he's culkining <laughs> up he's, he's definitely culking up yeah but 
I don't know, man. I think they're all all the performances are pretty good. We get Cherry Jones in a bit here as the as the cop who just goes on some weird tangents. I'll, I'll say definitely the the hindrance is some of the dialogue in which a lot of it's super clever and I really like it. And then it's so much of it though, is either this weird filler to, I guess, establish a sense of place and character, but it just comes off like, why are you wasting my time with this? Yeah. Why are we bringing this up? <laughs> anyway? So we start off with this family. Mel Gibson, hears a scream out in the cornfield. And apparently the dog's been pissing itself. It's acting real strange and barking at the kids. And guess what, Mel Gibson? There's a giant fucking crop circle in your uh, on your field. The filmmaking is not the problem in this movie, I will say this. It, it, it is shot extremely well. He knows how to build tension pretty well. Um, although, the, again, by the time everybody's kind of met up with each other in the cornfield. Mel Gibson has to get his face physically turned around by Rory Culkin to see this massive crop circle in the middle of his field. And so there's just some weird scenarios in this movie that just, they don't really, they seem more robotic than they seem human. Yeah, if you're not on board with, I think, how the characters are simply interacting with each other, it's going to be a, a mountain to climb <laughs> getting through this movie. I'll agree with that. It's a, uh, let me say this, it's a long hour and 42 minutes. <laughs> so, uh, he needs a second opinion because at first they're like, oh, it's just uh, Lionel Pritchard and the Wolfington brothers messing around out there. <laughs> Which is such a fucking, oh my God, I wish we had seen more of the Wolfington brothers, man. I want to know, <laughs> I w this is a better movie. I want to know more about the Wolfington brothers and their <laughs> and them terrorizing this town. Yeah, you know that they wouldn't be barricaded in a basement by the end of their movie. They'd be on top of their roof fucking shooting at things. Oh, fuck <laughs> yeah. yeah. It'd be a real action yeah, action classic. And can we confirm that one of the Wolfington brothers makes an appearance later on in this movie? Was it one of the Wolfington brothers? I can't remember. I believe he says it's likely Lionel and the Wolfington bro brothers because I think Lionel oh, okay. is pictured later in this movie by uh, one of one of our favorite actors. <laughs> one of my favorite actors of all time and it puts it absolutely stops this movie in its track michael showalter <laughs> it, it, it just his appearance alone was enough for me to pause the movie and take a breath now was that because you were also on a treadmill at the gym watching this on your phone uh yeah obviously that's where i was watching this but i had to pause it and be like that's michael showalter why is he in this very self-serious movie and the guy next to you's like what are you watching, Signs? I remember that bar. Thank God no one was no one was watching over my shoulder today. But uh, it, 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 he's dressed like a fucking clown. I know we're getting ahead of ourselves, but like it is like it's the stereotype that I always make fun of on this show, where it's like, oh, this guy's probably just like the sweetest '90s bully, but he literally is wearing like a like a sleeveless denim jacket. He's got a mullet. I think he's wearing like a like a kiss shirt or something like that. Oh, it's man. brutal. Well, something's wrong with Houdini the dog. Uh... Morgan, that's uh, Culkin here. Morgan winds up stabbing the dog, killing him with a barbecue fork. And uh, but they have another dog, right? <laughs> this took me a while to be like, oh yeah, wait, Isabel. there's two dogs. <laughs> yeah, there's two dogs. There's Houdini and Isabel. All right, because they invite the local sheriff or the local cop, Caroline Paskey, over for a second opinion. She's like, again, yeah, don't worry about it. It's probably the Wolfington brothers. Ah, oh, fucking classic Wolfington brothers prank. <laughs> 
<laughs> I just imagine them riding in the pickup truck, shooting guns off into the air as they're doing this whole thing, blasting some Van Halen or something. Again, this is just, I mean, yeah, the Wolfington brothers are better protagonists in this movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> Okay, well, Grant, so after everything she says, she says, thank you, Father. He says, Caroline, don't call me Father. He is in the midst of this crisis of faith. He was a former Episcopal priest who lost his wife in a car accident about six months ago from where we pick up with him, and he's a broken man. He's not sure if he believes in God anymore, but he kind of wants to just be left alone to his farming, I guess. What is he doing for employment at this point? I have no idea. It, it's so vague. I'm assuming he's farming. I, I, I My guess is that he's a priest on the side and maybe a farmer by trade? I have no idea. Can you be a priest on the side? <laughs> yeah, you can be a part-time priest, dude. How is he even married to a woman if he's a priest? Because that, that's a whole thing, dude. You, there's loopholes, you know what I mean? Well, actually, <laughs> well, Brandon, I don't know if there are. Rory Culkin kills the dog. He does kill the dog, and we also get the little setup that he has asthma. He needs his inhaler a lot. We also get a nice little cute quirk from Abigail Breslin's character, Bo. She just drink likes to drink half the cup of water. She's so fucking adorable in this movie. This is the most she adorable is. kid I think I've ever seen in a movie. Like I got legitimate laughs out of this little girl every once in a while because she's so goddamn cute. Yeah, and she's leaving half-full glasses of water all over the goddamn house because she says the water tastes old or it's contaminated. So Grant goes to put her to bed that night, and as he's leaving, he notices someone standing on the fucking roof of the barn. So he wakes up his bro, Joaquin Phoenix, that's Merrill, who lives in uh, kind of like a guest house on the property. And they decide they're going to, like, sprint around the house <laughs> screaming and yelling and whatnot. Mel Gibson is sitting there arguing with... They think there's an intruder who's fucking with their crops outside. And Mel Gibson's sitting there saying, well, I don't think I should be swearing. It sounds weird when I swear. I think that'd be, in I think that'd be weird. He's a former priest, dude. He's still fucking getting used to using curse words. <laughs> yeah, okay. Did we need to have this conversation right now? <laughs> no, we didn't because the fucking Wolfington brothers are raising hell outside bro exactly it's just the, the the pacing decisions in it where well i can see where he was probably trying to go with it they just seem kind of out of place in a lot of scenes I do like this bit, though, because a lot of it's told through just sound effects and the characters' reactions. There's a lot of, like, banging, and then you can hear it climb back up on the roof after it was running around, and Joaquin Phoenix kind of staring crazily, like, how the fuck did that thing get on the roof, or what is it? Is it a person at all? So the next day, they got the sheriff back over to their house, and she seems to be going on that it could be <laughs> some sort of Brazilian Olympian female athlete. Yeah, a Scandinavian... Yep. And Joaquin Phoenix <laughs> yeah. gives her the business about this, and she's like, I don't appreciate sarcasm. And it's like, well, you're kind of being a bitch. She then like, goes on to be like, uh, no, it's probably this crazy woman. Some out-of-towner was inside a local store shouting about cigarettes. It was probably her. <laughs> yeah, what the fuck are we talking? Yeah, she was, like, spitting on skateboards. Why did we need that bit of dialogue, too? That took up a good, like, minute and a half. Yeah, again, I think it's just his, his way of trying to establish some sort of quirky location and small town. This is a small town. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Uh, but breaking news comes across the TV. Crop circles start appearing kind of across the world. You know, they believe it's either the most elaborate hoax in history or it's real extraterrestrials. Whew. So 
they head into town, get some supplies, but also more to get some uh, medication for Morgan. And then the kids stop by the library. They pick up some literature. I also really love, this is such a needless scene and also really weird, but I love the military guy's behavior when he goes to chat with uh, Meryl there for a bit. Oh, yeah, he's basically breaking down the alien's attack strategy. Or something like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Something fucking... So this is also the scene where we get Michael Showalter. He's signing up for the army, I guess, or the Marines. Yeah, some sort of military recruitment office. And again, it, he just... It's tough. I, Michael Showalter is a good actor. I've seen him in things, and he's obviously super funny, but he's just so out of place. I think it's honestly kind of a terrible casting decision. He looks goofy. He looks like he's doing a bit out of Wet Hot American Summer. <laughs> And it sounds like it, too. Like, the way he's like, huh, no one ever mentions that Meryl's got the all-time strikeout record. You know what I mean? Like, it sounds like a bit of American, Wet Hot American Summer dialogue. So it's just, it's just so bizarre. And I, I don't know. I, I love Michael Showalter. I really didn't need him in this movie. Well, it doesn't help that, you know, Shyamalan, sometimes his placement of this exposition dialogue that he wants to somehow sneak in in a semi-natural way. They just go on for like five minutes about, wait a minute, you're Merrill Hess. Don't you have the all-time like record for the longest hit or whatever? Hardest hit home run in the minor leagues. Yeah, 507 footer. I remember that day. (laughs) Like, what? This is like 10 years ago or some shit, right? Yeah, I don't know. It's so fucking... Like, Shyamalan has like seen sports right <laughs> like it felt wrong not to swing uh geez hope that doesn't come back into play in the movie in a pivotal scene i guess we'll see they're eating pizza at the local shop at a local restaurant and they see ray reddy m night Shyamalan himself getting into his car he's just a local veteran we don't know much about him but we're about to learn he's the guy who hit and killed grant's wife they're all just staring awkwardly like is that him yep that's him They get home later that day, and Bo's baby monitor starts going off. Morgan, I guess, was planning on using this thing as a goddamn walkie-talkie or something, but he hears weird, like, clicking and whatnot, and he's like, they're talking to each other. They're trying to communicate. He gets on top of the roof. There's this whole bit where they make a human chain and shit, and Grant, Mel Gibson's like, knock the shit off, all right? I'm I'm getting, it's getting old, (laughs) because he's not a believer. Do you get it? Mm. Yeah, he he doesn't believe in God or in aliens, dude. (laughs) That night, their uh, other dog is barking at the cornfield. I really like this bit here, and this was in all of the trailers. He goes out to investigate, tells whoever's out there, you know, you're not going to get famous, I'm not going to tell anybody about this, so just get the fuck out of here, all right? But he doesn't swear because he's a former priest. He spots a leg, though, as he's walking out with the flashlight bit here, and it's a good bit of suspense. He, like, hits it, and there's, like, some clicking and shit, and he's sprinting through the cornfield. Again, a lot of these scares, you know, if this movie were made today... Oh, you mean A Quiet Place? <laughs> well, sure. I mean, but I, gotta, I don't, it's weird, because Krasinski had a, does have a good hand in doing that. It's like he pays off his, his scares, and these sometimes feel anticlimactic. It's just the the pacing sometimes, it, it doesn't always work for me. Yeah, I mean, everything is working really well in terms of the shots that he's getting, and when it is, the suspense is mounting, it's mounting really well. But like you said, this movie is kind of a roller coaster in terms of, up, oh, something's happening, something's happening, never mind, no, it's not. Then we get lights from these invisible hovering objects start appearing all over in Mexico City now at this point, and... 
<laughs> I love this guy's dialogue. The anchor, after Morgan has said the exact same thing, the anchor's like, it's unbelievable. Everything they wrote in science books is about to change. <laughs> The kids, they fall asleep, though. Meryl needs some comforting from Grant. And, I, dude, I know it's a little cheesy, but I love this fucking scene. I love this whole little speech he gives that was in, again, some of the trailers, but is also kind of the entire summation of the whole, you know, what he's trying to say with this movie or bullshit. You know, he explains how there's two types of people. Some people who see when, when good things happen to them, they see it as a sign that something is watching over them and, you know, they've experienced a miracle. The other group of people see it as just a happy coincidence, a random series of events. What kind of person are you? Are you the type of person that sees signs, sees miracles? Or do you believe that people just get lucky? Or look at it this way. Is it possible that there are no coincidences? And then Meryl replies with a story about how he was going to, you know, make out with his chick. And she puked right beforehand because she was super drunk. And he's like, ah, I missed it. I'm a miracle man. <laughs> what what a fucking weird, weird fucking way <laughs> to end what is maybe the most profound bit of dialogue in this entire movie. It's the only time where the pacing is working out extremely well because they're on the precipice of possibly the end of humanity. And Joaquin Phoenix drops in about this story that he was trying to hook up with a girl and she threw up. She could have puked in my mouth, bro. <laughs> that would have been not cool. But yeah, he you can tell. Fucking not gnarly. He wants him to t say that you know, he believes in signs and believes that there is a higher power who's going to save them from all this. But he says, no, you know, we're all alone, basically. There's no one watching over us, Meryl. We're all alone. You know what the last thing... Tracy is that her name Tracy for Col some reason it strikes me as <laughs> she seems like a real Tracy but no it's a Colleen her she name's Colleen uh, well I'm gonna go ahead and call her Tracy he says you know you know <laughs> he says you know what the last thing Tracy said to me before she died she said swing away you know why she said that her nerve endings were dying in her brain and she thought she was remembering this time we watched you play baseball like Jesus Christ! <laughs> you know, like that is rough. feel better about the end of the world now. <laughs> feel better, bitch. yeah. Like pats him on the head, walks away. Ooh, are you scared of the aliens? Ooh. <laughs> uh, well, we finally get a bit of this flashback here of his wife's death. It's just a quick flash of a road blocked off by police, but we cut before we get the full story. Meanwhile, Meryl has locked the TV away from the kids in the closet. They believe now that the crop circles are basically alien Google Maps and it's some sort of uh, coordination or, or directions <laughs> for the other ones. Now the ships are straight up invisible. A, there was footage of a bird crashing into it, its head like crushed, and it fell. <laughs> I like the way he's selling this. Again, Joaquin Phoenix, good actor. No, he's a fantastic actor. And, and I will say everybody is giving it their all. I just, uh, I was fascinated with how good... Uh, what's her name is in this movie oh breslin yeah she's crushing it yeah she's fantastic and she's what like six but she and culkin have some tinfoil hats on so the aliens don't read their minds grant gets a call from Shyamalan himself ray ready so he goes to his work office i think he's a veterinarian i think that's what the sign said anyway yep which is why when when the dog was going crazy they called the human doctor they refused to call the vet did you catch oh, that, Brandon? Wow! Did you catch dude. that, Brandon? I thought yeah, it was I a pay attention guy. to these movies. No, I pay attention to these <laughs> movies. Ugh! In the gym, you know what? Honestly, out of the movies we've done recently, this is probably the least 
embarrassing one to watch at the gym. I was not I was not worried that people were going to be watching me watch signs. Like maybe that Mel Gibson was on my phone. I think that <laughs> spreads a bit of a message, but other than that, I mean, I could I I just I brush it off and be like, "Listen, Joaquin Phoenix has never been bigger than right now." So, <laughs> hey, dude, dragged across concrete. You should check that movie out. He's, it's a good movie. I've seen about half of it. It's not bad. Shyamalan, he's just chilling in his car in the driveway, I guess. I think he's been waiting for him. Yeah, he's been waiting for him because he called him. Obviously, fuck, dude. Anyway. Yeah, fucking <laughs> idiot. He's planning. <laughs> I thought you took down notes. Shit, I am. He's planning on going to a lake because he's noticed that none of the crop circles on the news and shit have been near water. So you know what? Maybe they just don't like water. I, you know, I I must not have been paying great attention the first time I saw this movie because I thought the water thing was the Shyamalan twist of this movie. Oh no, man. They're 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 <laughs> goading you the whole way. They 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 sell yeah, they sell it. They're like, "Nope, they don't like water. They don't like water." <laughs> Dude, talk about harsh dialogue. So <laughs> Ray tells Grant here that he, you know, he's super sorry about killing his wife, but his whole story of his or his justification, he was like, I was I was driving. I've never fallen asleep behind the wheel before. There was no car in any direction for miles and miles, you know, 10 or 15 seconds on either side. And I would have just been in, you know, a ditch, but it had to be that moment. It was like it was meant to be <laughs> like, holy shit. It was like it was meant to to be Jesus H Christmas and then drives off. Oh no. Well, actually he says, sorry. And Mel Gibson is like, you know, on the verge of accepting his apology. And then he just drops, Hey, there's an alien in my pantry. And then just peels out. (laughs) Dude. I will say one of the loudest laughs I've ever had in a movie was watching scary movie three (laughs) in which that movie parodies uh, this film. There's the scene where, Charlie Sheen playing the Mel Gibson character. How perfect is that, by the way? Oh, yeah, that's uh, great. <laughs> Charlie Sheen arrives at the crime scene, uh, at the the accident scene, rather, and his wife's pinned against the tree. Mm-hmm. And as he's walking to her body, the guy who's playing Shyamalan sitting with the police, and he's like, hey, Tom, I'm going to need a ride home after this. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, so goddamn good. But it just I reminded me watching this, <laughs> watching this movie, how fucking callous Shyamalan is about the whole thing. Like, yeah, it was like meant to be. See you later. By the way, don't fucking freak out about that alien. By the way, there's an alien. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Well, yeah, so then we get this whole little pantry scene where he goes in and using the knife spots what he thinks is an alien. Hand comes out to confirm it and he chops its fucking fingers off, runs away. And you just hear the alien go, ow, my fingies. (laughs) Are you fucking kidding me? Those were my good fingers. Owie. Ow. (laughs) It's a weird part of the movie. It's Brandon. What do you think of this part of the movie where the alien goes, "Ow, my pinky!" <laughs> now I gotta wash it off. Ow, ow, wait, water? No, what's this? Ow, ow. no, owie, ow. Signs. Yeah, I gave it like a seventy, dude. Anyway, meanwhile, yeah, Joaquin Phoenix. He's watching news still, and he finally gets to see what the aliens look like. There's this, you know, kind of iconic scene. I've seen this played out in so many different times, uh, you know, where he's watching the news footage. It's unaltered, unedited, one long clip of this birthday party in Brazil where an alien is caught walking around in the background. And, yeah, the effects aren't good in this. Whenever they show the alien, you can very easily tell that it's a CGI creature. What I will say is he's smart about how he presents it. It's usually always blurry or in the reflection of a TV or just dark. So 
it's the best it possibly could have looked, I guess, with this with this iteration, because they go with a very basic what you'd picture an alien to look like. I was <laughs> going to bring this up at the climax of the film where we actually see an alien that it's very clear. I mean, obviously, the CGI is just atrocious, but I will give him credit for going so far out of his way to try and cover it up because you barely get a look at an alien that's not either through a window screen or a reflection or backlit super hard. Like, he refuses to let you take a good look at this alien. Uh, I've got some thoughts on the climax, dude. We're almost there. Uh, Grant, he comes home, he pitches the idea to the family to either leave for the lake because, hey, maybe they don't like water, or remain inside the house and they'll barricade themselves inside. They vote to stay and I do there there are some like prepping scenes. Again, a lot of them are like him telling the story of how they were the kids were born and all this shit. There's a ton of stuff that doesn't necessarily need to be in there that I guess just adds to it. But we also skip uh dinner. We skip dinner too. Oh, I was going to get to dinner. I'm sorry. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We got to talk about that dinner scene. Uh, But I do like the part where Joaquin Phoenix, he's like bringing his shit inside and he throws a rock into the cornfield and he just waits for a moment. And then, you know, maybe lesser hands are in someone who's really trying to milk it. The rock, you're waiting for the rock to come back and be like, that's fucking dumb. But he doesn't. He like holds back. Thankfully, it's just it's just a nice little bit to show where the character's mindset is at subverting your expectations without pulling his like big grand twist bullshit like sometimes i really like the little small ideas and clever twists more than his like this is what you were really seeing the whole time type deal so they decide to have this dinner uh, well you know joaquin phoenix is like we should have sandwiches and little Bo says she wants spaghetti and this kind of you know snowballs into everybody have whatever they want uh, like French toast and mashed potatoes, fucking Rory Culkin, you weirdo. Meal for kings, dude. Yep, chicken teriyaki uh, from bougie-ass Joaquin Phoenix. <laughs> and he cooks it all. Yeah, and of course Mel Gibson wants a fucking cheeseburger with extra bacon. America, the land of the home and the free. What makes a man is it the woman in his arms? Nice cheeseburger. Well, they cook it all and they're eating fucking everything. And I, dude, this whole bit, because he refuses to pray before they start eating. And then everyone gets all pissed off because they want some sort of comfort. They want him to be like he used to be, but he's refusing to give in. And he just starts eating all of their foods. And Abigail Breslin starts bawling her eyes out. Rory Culkin says, you know, I hate you, Dad. And Mel Gibson almost starts bawling while he's stuffing mashed potatoes in his face. It's pretty awesome. It is such it is such a bizarre just like, hey, by the way, we're all pissed at each other. Whoa. What the fuck? Where did this come from? I just made you fucking seven different meals. Yeah. His, Get out of here. Whole, I hate you. It's like, whoa, kid. What the fuck? Jesus Christ, Rory Culkin. You got your mashed Your brother potatoes. is going to be super famous, and it's not the one you think. <laughs> anyway. At this point, over the news, 274 cities have been preparing for an attack. That's how many cities are actually have these invisible spaceships floating above, so their military's preparing. Everything's starting to, like, shut down across the world, and they decide to barricade themselves inside. Everything's all locked up, but there's some screeching, some scratching, some running on the rooftops, and then eventually a hand comes out from underneath the door, so they go downstairs into the basement. Which, if you've ever seen a horror movie, is exactly where you want to be, in a small room with nowhere to leave. And Mel Gibson. 
and Mel Gibson and a Culkin. <laughs> not the one you want. And not and the third Culkin. Oh no. As the aliens are trying to break into the house, they they get into the uh, stairwell anyway and make it outside the door of the basement. I do like the way some of this is filmed because Joaquin's trying to find some sort of tool they need and he winds up shattering the light bulb. So a lot of it's told in the dark. And then they use this trick, this bit again, <laughs> when, you know, they finally get a flashlight going. You, they see Rory Culkin. He's attacked by one of the aliens or grabbed. And then <laughs> the flashlight falls on the ground. And we just keep on this flashlight for a good minute while you just hear a lot of scuffling and yelling. It's the Blair Witch Project ending. Yeah. And I can imagine when you're a kid getting blue balls to this, like, I want to see him fucking bite the alien, bro. What the fuck? Drove me up the fucking wall that I had sat through about an hour and a half of this movie and had at the most seen a blurry uh, home video and hands. <laughs> well, that's why I can imagine that after this scene here, you would be super pissed when, you know, they all fall asleep because Morgan, he's got uh, an asthma attack. And I guess Mel Gibson just talks his way through <laughs> the whole thing. He's like, breathe with me. He's like, hey, don't worry about it, guy. <laughs> yeah, don't worry about it, guy. We'll figure it out. And he, and he starts talking to God. He's like, I hate you. He starts cursing God. You can't win, Mel Gibson. I have the high ground. Then we hear on the radio the next morning after they all wake up, which apparently they slept for 12 hours. Joaquin Phoenix, he's he's still up, and he's been listening to the news the whole time. I guess all the aliens just kind of bounced. They left. They did leave behind a few wounded. and Oh, and also, they killed a shit ton of people because they started spraying with some fucking alien skunk gas type shit that wiped a bunch of people out. You know what the biggest tragedy of this movie is? There is such a better movie going on somewhere else. Like, (laughs) everywhere else in this movie, there is just something way, way, way more interesting going on. And we're stuck in this fucking farmhouse with Mel Gibson and a Culkin. It's just such a bummer. And I get that, like, we have all these alien movies that are like, you know, the government's fighting an alien invasion. There's a million of those that you can see, and I appreciate the idea of like, well, what about the small folks? What about the people who aren't living in the big cities or don't have a say in what's happening with the government? But it really is just like, fuck, man. I I feel like there was so much cooler shit going on, and like I just would have loved to have seen you know, the world figure out how to stop the aliens. Oh, I don't even need a different location, dude. Pan fucking two households down with the Wolfington bros who are there chopping alien heads off. Yeah, you're mean to tell me that the fucking Lionel and the Wolfington brothers aren't fucking (laughs) just slaughtering aliens fucking down the road? Give me a goddamn break. The aliens are barricading themselves inside basements to stay away from the Wolfington brothers. If anything, the Shyamalan twist of this movie should have been fucking Michael Showalter (laughs) as Lionel kicking down the basement door covered, drenched in alien blood, and being like, you're safe now. (laughs) Signs. Signs. I give it a 90, dude. Your thoughts. We get this flashback back to him having his last conversation with his wife in the middle of him discovering that there's one alien left. He turns around, he turns around and the aliens holding Morgan and everybody's just kind of staring. And this is when we get the like life defining flashback in its entirety of him talking to his wife who's dying and, 
about to pass out and she's going through all these things where it's like tell the kids tell the kids to have fun yeah yeah tell the kids not to you know be super weird and shitty and say strange things to each other and uh fucking tell joaquin phoenix to swing away and she tells grant to see see yeah see what oh see signs dude because guess what this is when everything starts to connect in the movie fuck yes this is so the the Shyamalan twist in this movie is god told his dying wife hey swing away and then god also left all of the fucking water from this little girl because she didn't like the little girl why is this little girl leaving water all over the place well it's divine intervention dude they knew one day they were gonna need water all over the fucking house it's also why Morgan has asthma, because guess what? This alien's poison isn't getting into his lungs. Yep, because his lungs are closed up because he had a crazy panic attack. And so this this is all clicking for Mel Gibson, who's lost his faith. Oh my God, God was here the whole fucking time. And Joaquin Phoenix ends up killing the alien. Culkin is fucking saved by with an EpiPen because his lungs closed up and he didn't breathe a noxious gas and the alien dies, man. I'm just going to skip ahead unless you have more thoughts about it. Fucking flash forward later. He's a priest again. (laughs) Signs. Dude, you are blowing past that ending, and I honestly don't have much more to add, so I won't add a lot, but I, I will say this is fucking awesome. Dude, I love the music build and everything, and the quick cuts. Dude, it's all center-framed. He's, like, staring into the camera, and then we cut to his dying wife. Then we cut to Joaquin Phoenix staring off in his face like an idiot as he's like, swing away, Meryl. He grabs the bat and starts just beating the shit out of this alien. Then he throws it into some cups of water, and it's killed by H2O. See, and uh, this is where we disagree on this because as a kid i remember thinking that's it that's the end of signs and as an adult i kind of went wow uh i feel flaccid watching this (laughs) it's just what if i were to tell you about a lot of these reddit theories (laughs) and a lot of pundits who believe that they're not aliens they're actually demons and that the whole movie doesn't have anything to do with alien invasion but rather demons being summoned from hell and it's his faith that saves the day well you know here's the thing about reddit dude uh reddit has a lot of great ideas to make shitty things better unfortunately uh, Reddit can't go back and physically change the shittiness of something. So, uh, well, that's a nice thought. It's unfortunately not what we have. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix kills an alien with a cup of water. <laughs> yeah, but dude, he's got the hardest strikeout or whatever the fuck he was, hardest hitting bat. He, that's why he's such a good baseball player, too. It all leads to this. Okay, but anyway, it doesn't fucking matter. He becomes a priest again. All, everybody lives. Uh, it snows outside. Signs. That's the end of science. He saw the sign. I got to use Ace of Base at some point in this. What'd you think, dude? Uh, man, I mean, I, I kind of, my gut instinct going into this was that I probably wouldn't hate it as much as I did when I was a kid, but still probably wasn't going to be fully satisfied with it. Because like I said at the beginning, Shyamalan is just not really someone who's ever done it for me, except in Split. I do enjoy Split, and I enjoy The Sixth Sense. Uh, everything else, man, it was just kind of spot on for me in terms of my expectations. It's paced very odd. The characters are not exactly likable. Um, 
if anything, just because they're so strange. And it just confirms to me that while Shyamalan is such a technically gifted director, and I think that he does have a lot of talent on display even in this movie, he can't. you can't give him the reins to things that he's writing anymore. Just because, I mean, this movie, the twist of this movie is essentially God exists. I mean, it's way more of a Christian film than I remember it being. That's all that I got out of this was that I wasn't watching a horror movie. It's Kirk Cameron away from being a straight-to-TV <laughs> Christianity movie. You know what I mean? It's just like it, it and it just it threw me off because I wasn't expecting that. I so I mean, twists on me again, I guess, but I I just I feel like there was a better movie going on literally everywhere else. Um and there could have been a better movie going on right in the story we're at. There was just so many missed opportunities and strange decisions with uh dialogue and pacing. That I, it, to me, it's just a miss overall, and I, I, I stick with my original thought that this movie kind of it, it was a sophomore slump for him because I know he followed up with Unbreakable, but that didn't get a lot of commercial success. This was really, I think, his first look at the the director of The Sixth Sense. He's coming back with a big blockbuster, and it just it it misses for me. I'm gonna go ahead and give it a 35. Oh, percent shit! I know. I I really just I don't find it enjoyable. I think if you're nostalgic for some Shyamalan, just watch The Sixth Sense or watch Unbreakable. Um, if that's your thing too, I just think that there's way better movies that do this kind of thing better. And I know there's movies that Shyamalan does better. And to me, just no thanks. I'm 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 not about it. I'm. I'm kind of about it, man. <laughs> I, I I thought on this rewatch, it didn't quite hit me like it did all those years ago. I didn't find it as profound, <laughs> you know, and you're right. It does come down to if you're expecting a twist, if you're expecting this to be a sci-fi thriller, which all of the marketing had led you to believe. I think if you were to watch this movie for the first time without any preconceived notions, however, I think it could hold up to today's standards as a pretty solid movie that, yes, does delve into faith-based material, <laughs> not very subtle either. So if that's completely out of your wheelhouse and you don't want to see anything like that, yeah, it, this isn't going to change your mind about Shyamalan. But I think it's too well made to ignore the, the, the power of some of these scenes. That scene with him and Joaquin Phoenix on the couch, I think it's really well written. The climax, while I think what's actually happening, I can't say what's happening in it, but the way is kind of dumb. I will agree that like, oh wow, it's water that kills them. Oh, all this stuff's leading up to it. I love the way it's constructed and edited and paced and shot and acted. I think all of the trappings around that's really good. The material itself, yeah, some of this is silly. Some of this is really hard to swallow. Not we didn't even like touch on really like the the absurdity of aliens landing on a planet that's seventy something percent water and being that being their downfall. I think that's something that people have picked apart enough, and we we get it. It's a pretty dumb idea. Yeah, uh, but I, I mean, we don't even need to we don't even need to mention how <laughs> stupid that is. Yeah, so. I get it, and I also can see the aversion for a lot of people of just Mel Gibson's participation in the film, so I also understand wanting to stay away from it for that, but for me, I think this is similar to Hitchcock in the way it's paced and the way it builds suspense, and there's too good, there's, there's too many scenes in this movie that are that are really good for me to just outright think it's a bad film. I, I can't quite get it 
to as high as I thought I might going into this, but I think it's a three out of four star movie. I'm giving it a 75, dude. I mean, I, I, I totally get where you're coming, and I said it before, I'll say it one more time. It, technically, everything is there. I it is, It's well-crafted as a film. It just, to me, it, it misses on too many ideas and themes that just, again, I just don't think he should be given the the wheel to his own vehicles sometimes he, he you know he hits home with a couple of things but a lot of these movies that he writes himself it, it just they're messy they're muddled and i i think this is one of them well i mean that's pretty much his whole filmography i think he's written almost everything he's directed uh except for i think he had a huge hand with uh will smith and after earth so you can blame them both for that one <laughs> yeah exactly but but that's i mean that's kind of like we were talking about before, it's indicative of his whole career. It's just, you know, I feel like if you gave him a script that he didn't write, I think he could turn around and make a good movie. But I, you know, it, he's just not there as a writer for me. I think this movie is just kind of bizarre. I, I do definitely agree that if he were given a really good script from a different writer, he could probably turn in his best work. Because, yes. The- he could make an I think he could get an Oscar. Oh, for sure. I, I, I think that, too. I do. He's honestly, he reminds me a lot of Rob Zombie, in which I will watch almost everything he does just because what he's doing is different from a lot of other people. But God damn it, I just wish he would direct someone else's script because he has such a great visual flair and style, but his characters are awful and the dialogue sometimes is like, Jesus, man. Exactly. I- exactly. So... All right. Well, I think that's enough of signs, Brandon. Do you have anything you want to recommend before we take off? Uh, sure, man. I went to burning up the old AMC stubs list here. There's a couple I'm just going to rattle off real quick. By the way, speaking of Will Smith, I did see Gemini Man. You can stay away. <laughs> Don't bother. Oh, uh, you didn't have to tell me to stay away from that one to get me to stay away from that one. I also saw Zombieland Double Tap. You know, it's more of the same. It doesn't fall into that. Like Dumb and Dumber 2, Zoolander 2, Anchorman 2, where it's like too far removed from the sequel and it just seems like a cheap imitation of the original. I thought it was like, you know, an unnecessary movie, but a worthy, like, I guess extension of the world. It's fun enough if you like the first one. Yeah. You don't have to rush out to see it, especially if you're not a huge fan of that first one, but it's all right. It's not bad. Yeah, don't need it. Not a, not a Jesse Eisenberg fan. <laughs> Gee, you have to watch The Art of Self-Defense. I implore you. I, I will watch that because I Good. did see the trailer, and that, that does seem like it's right up my alley. I uh, also checked out Greener Grass, which is just weird as shit. Kind of like a weird <laughs> yeah, David Lynchian comedy, sketch comedy. It, it's not sketch comedy, but it feels like a movie that, that came from sketch artists because it's just so all over the place all the time. I really dug it. Look up, look up the trailer for it, and if it's you know in your wheelhouse, you'll probably enjoy it. And uh, lastly, my favorite movie I've seen in quite some time, dude. Parasite, which is the new movie by uh, Bong Joon-ho, who did Snowpiercer and Okja, I think, recently. Uh, Holy fuck, man. It's awesome. It's a South Korean movie that's just basically about, like, a family getting hired by another family, and it goes so far, so far over the top. Really dug it. I think it'll be in the awards conversation if Oscars, you know, have it. I mean, they pick some bullshit stuff, so maybe not, but but it should be. Is that that streaming, or is that a... a you have to go find an independent theater to go see that one. Yeah, that's in limited release right now, but it, Jojo Rabbit and The Lighthouse, those two movies I really want to see, they're all expanding in the next like 2 or 3 weeks, so they should be everywhere in a in a couple weeks. Very excited for The Lighthouse. Um yeah. What about you, dude? 
Uh, been a little busy, but I did actually manage to see a new movie this week. However, I saw it on Netflix. Uh, I finally got around to seeing El Camino, the Breaking Bad movie. Um, yeah, if you're a Breaking Bad fan, I mean, it's worth the watch because it's, it's essentially more Breaking Bad. Um, I, I recommend it. I really do, but don't expect anything you know, world changing out of it. It it really just feels like an hour and a half long episode of Breaking Bad. I think it it definitely ties up everything really well, and I feel better after watching it, even though I didn't really need it. Um, it it's a good movie. Vince Gilligan's a good director. Uh, if anything, it just kind of prompted me to go back and start rewatching Better Call Saul because I'm behind on that show, and that show's amazing. If you haven't seen Better Call Saul. That show is as good and in a lot of ways better than Breaking Bad. So Ooh. check that. Yeah, I know. It it just is, though. It, it is such a fantastic show. But El Camino, if you're a Breaking ba- Bad fan, watch it. If you're not a Breaking Bad fan, uh, watch Breaking Bad because you will not understand El Camino. <laughs> yeah, and then you'll be a fan of Breaking Bad. And then you'll be a fan of Breaking Bad, which is, full disclosure, my favorite show ever made. Yeah, it's... Maybe mine as well. I think it's the best drama ever, ever written. I want to see. Yeah, Dolomite is my name. I think comes out very soon at the time of the recording. Anyway, so mm, yeah, I want to see that, that too. Good. I think that'll be. I think that'll be good. Well, we're not quite sure what we're going to be doing next week. Am I right, Zach? We're, we're going to take a week where we're. Uh, you'll see. It'll be a surprise. Check the Facebook page because uh, we might do a little something interesting. Yep, we got a lot going on. Uh, so. Keep checking us out on Facebook and on Twitter. You can follow us there at, at Nostalgia Damned. We know it's the worst Twitter handle in the world, but there it is. You can also write us an email. Brandon, go ahead and tell them what the email is, because I don't remember. It's equally as bad to say, nostalgiabedamnedpod at gmail.com. Shoot us a message there, maybe a request or just a question. We love to interact with fans or listeners, rather. And, uh, yeah, check us out on Facebook. Also, write us a review, because that helps us out a lot. And don't forget to tell your friends and uh, expand to other people. And also, Brandon, uh, before I forget, you're recently on a podcast. Do you want to plug that really quick? Oh, I do. I do. Uh, If you're getting this before Halloween, if you want to get in the mood, I do believe the guys at Thrill Me podcast in Australia had a chat with them about the Scream series. We actually mentioned, which one did we? We did Scream 3 on this podcast here. Uh, But it was good to go through 1 through 4 and chat about every single kind of aspect about it that we wanted to to touch on anyway. We did our, like, favorite kills, worst and favorite characters. You know, there was a lot of talk about Jamie Kennedy, so I know that's your favorite celebrity to talk about zach so you might get a kick out of that oh yeah love talking about <laughs> yeah no it's a good good bit of fun chatting with those guys so check out uh them thrill me podcast that'll be dropping soon if it hasn't already dropped by the time you're listening to this now and for all of our american listeners uh or listeners from countries other than australia the thrill me guys are australian and they've got sexy accents so oh yeah sexier than mine yeah oh yeah 100 percent. and they can read so there's that. Um, so definitely, I don't know why I had to mention that, but I did. Uh, give that, give their show a listen. Definitely worth it. Uh, anything else you want to say, Brandon? Yeah, that I don't need to read if I see the signs. Uh, well, no, you you got you got to learn how to read. <laughs>